Brothers and sisters of Queer Steak, hello, this is Brother McIntosh, and I come bearing news. That is a lie, I do not come bearing news. Anyway, I am here to apologize for the tardiness of this episode, but the holidays kind of got in my way, so I hope you understand. So in this episode, I talked to David, a friend I made right around the time of the creation of the Queer Steak community on Tumblr. Uh... This was actually our first time meeting in person, and as we sat in his hotel room, we were simultaneously catching up and getting to know each other. In the background, the AC hummed, trying to kill the July heat D.E.D. dead, and he wore a Batman shirt in the art style of Vincent Van Gogh, which uh, reminded me of his Tumblr username. Nerdy Gay Mormon. A quick warning, there are a few brief sexual circumstances brought up in this episode. So, grab some green jello, kick back, and enjoy. We are recording. Uh, what's, what's the first story that you have for me today? Um... So when I was a teenager, every year in our core meeting, which is which is just uh, teenage boys, we had a lesson where we read a, a talk of Boy K. Packers called um, Two Young Men Only. And it's sort of an awkward talk. And, and uh, towards the end, he talks about, it's about sex and, and, and not masturbating is what most of the talk is about. And towards the end, he, he says that uh, you shouldn't touch each, like t- two boys shouldn't touch each other's stuff and junk. And he calls it the little factory. <laughs> <laughs> Such a weird name for it. Like, I, I get it. It makes, it kind of makes sense. Because it's always producing. Right, right. But still, it's, yeah. it's a horrible nickname to give it. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so he said there may be people that uh, try to entice you into doing those sorts of things. And then he tells this story where he was um, visiting a mission and a missionary was sent to have an interview with him and uh, the, something was wrong and, and it took a long time for him to get the missionary to say what it was. And finally he said, I slugged my companion. And El Parker's like, oh, that's all it was? And he's like, I floored him, though. He felt really bad about it. And Elder Packer said, well, you know, good for you for doing that. I, as a general authority, I couldn't do that, but you, someone had to do that. And um, so I'm... Why do you slug him? Because, well, he doesn't say exactly. To me, I imagined his companion just told him that he's gay, but it sort of implied that his companion tried to get him to engage in... So, okay, this is very interesting because I remember being a teenager and hearing the same story, but it was explicitly that he... I have the, I have the actual him. talk here. So um, let's just read his words. There are some men who entice young men to join them in these immoral acts. If you are ever approached to participate in anything like that, it is time to vigorously resist. Uh, so he just says men trying to get young men to do this, right? And then 
Immediately, he says, while I was in a mission on one occasion, a missionary said he had something to confess. I was very worried because he just could not get himself to tell me what he had done. After patient encouragement, he finally blurted out, I hit my companion. Oh, is that all? I said in great relief. But I floored him, he said. After learning a little more, my response was, well, thanks. Somebody had to do it, and it wouldn't be well for a general authority to solve the problem that way. So he doesn't actually say what the companion did. Having been a missionary, I just can't imagine another missionary like full on coming on to to someone else. Yeah. I can see him uh saying that he's, you know, that he has these feelings and wanting to talk about it or even asking if his companion ever feels that way, but you know, it's a dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine like he went and hopped in his bed or something like that and this guy had to fight him off. So um, so it's a vague story. The only thing that's not vague is that this apostle condoned violence against gay people. And so, um, I mean, the overall talk, it, it, when you're a teenager and you're hearing it, it's awkward and stuff. And so we get to this part and there's a little break because it's so different from the rest. And um, what would happen is one of the one of the other guys would say, smear the queer, and then they'd start chanting, smear the queer, smear the queer. And, but, I, you know, I'm a closeted gay boy sitting there thinking, in that story, I'm the one that's getting smeared. They, they hate people like me so much that I can't tell anybody. Right. So, um, I mean, it happened every year, but it was just one of those things that just reinforced all the negative things I heard at church. Like very explicitly, my peers felt this way. Mm-hmm. I, I really do remember. And I guess maybe it was just because it was it was easy to read into. But I, I feel like it was specifically said um, because his companion came on to him. Right. And this, this was like later on that um, this was being told. But... Well, when I was a teenager, I, that's my, what my understanding was. But mm-hmm. when I was a missionary, in that kind of living situation, I just couldn't imagine it happening. And I pulled, and I went and found the talk and read it. And, and he's... He tells, you know, before he tells the story, that's what he says you should avoid. And then he tells his story, but doesn't say what actually happens. And I know missionaries yeah. who've come out on their mission to other people. I've never heard of anything, anyone attempting this kind of behavior, though. Right. But the story's from, 19, from the 1970s or before. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it was a... I mean... Not that we live in a perfect world now, but it was very homophobic then. Yeah. So, um, when I was 18, almost 19, um, my bishop asked to meet with me and he pulled me into his office and he said, it's time to start talking about a mission and, and let's, let's begin the paperwork today. And, um... It's not like I really want to go on a mission. I, I don't think most 
some people really want to, but a lot of us are sort of like reluctantly headed that way. If we don't have a good excuse not to, you know, that's, that's sort of what our whole life has been aimed towards. Yeah. So that was me. And, um, and he could tell I, I wasn't, you know, like really excited about this. So he asked me to go home and pray about this. And he said, often young men go home and they, now it's, now it matters. So pray to know if the church is true. Pray, pray to know if the Book of Mormon is, is what we say it is. Pray to know Joseph Smith is a prophet. And you'll get an answer and then you'll know you need to go on a mission. So I went home and that night I prayed, but I didn't pray for any of those things. I, um, I, um, Asked God if he loved me as I am, you know, all that, all that I am, because I'm gay. And uh, I didn't get any further in the prayer than that when, like, warmth just started radiating across my body. And in my ear, I heard the words, you are not broken. And um, I just think it's really sad that a kid who went to church his whole life didn't even know if God could love him because of because of those messages I I received you know but um, it was very clear that didn't matter to God and and um, that experience sustained me for a long time so um, after my mission I went to school in Rexburg Idaho a church school. It was called Ricks College then. It's now it's BYU Idaho. And I started in the middle of the year. I started in January, which is freezing. And um, my roommate started at the same time. We we had a two person room, and he was very tall and handsome. And the girls all called him Ken because, like Barbie and Ken, they thought he was this perfect guy. And and uh, over the course of the semester, lots of them wanted to date him but they were intimidated too, so they'd have their friend go out with me. So I got, I got lots of pity dates out of it, <laughs> <laughs> which worked well, because if the date wasn't going well, we were, me and my friend, we could, my roommate, we could talk and still have a good time. And um, I still was uh, completely in the closet and no one knew. And so even though I wasn't taking people on dates, still I was going on dates and that kept up the, the, the ruse, you know, and, but, um, I, I really liked him and he was very handsome. And so I liked seeing him in the showers and I liked sitting next to him in the temple. Like we had this, this really close relationship. Uh, I really liked him as a person. And, um, about two weeks before the semester ended, I came home one night and, um, he had turned the heater all the way up on high and put wet towels across it. So the room was super humid, hot. And um, he was sitting at his desk naked and said, since I'm from Florida and he'd served a mission in the Philippines, he thought we'd like a little more tropical weather. And I, I, it was, I, well, I couldn't say my winter clothes, but I didn't get all the way naked because um, I didn't trust myself sitting there with him. Uh, uh, but, um, Eventually he got up and, and um, like I saw him and we talked a little and I think it was an attempt to see how I would react, you know, to, 
to to this mm-hmm. um because it was a, it, as he talked to me it was a little forward but he was also coy and and, and stuff and and i didn't know what to make of of it um but but he got dressed and went off to dinner and and um i i i, I had to go take a shower and then and then i went to dinner and off to the library and that night we we acted like nothing had happened and 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 then the next night uh, we were in bed we 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 had bunk beds he was on top bunk and he kept saying stuff like he can't wait to get married so he can have sex with a girl and he can't wait to have sex with a lady and that would be so great and i kept after all i was like why do you keep saying with a lady with a girl like that's that's implied right Mm -hmm. unless you had sex with a boy and then he got really quiet. And he said, well, I think I can trust you with this. And he told me about when he was um, in high school, he had a friend that would come over and, and he told the story. It started innocently and then it worked its way up uh, where, where they would um, pleasure each other. And, and uh, so he told me this story and he said he thought everyone ought to have that sort of opportunity. But um, he didn't want me, to, so he felt bad I hadn't done that. And he wanted me to have that opportunity, but he didn't want me to do it while he was awake. So he went and got a flashlight and it's it's the strangest thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is stupid and I'm not, like yes or no like this is this is a bizarre way to to approach it but you know given what he'd done the night before with uh making the room so hot i i figured that's the way he was headed and and so i went to sleep and later he actually woke me up calling my name and i i laid in my bed and i i didn't know what to do and then he whispered my name again and so i was like well this is my chance and I got a flashlight and, and and he was laying up on his bed uh, fully erect and so I touched and squeezed and, and um, there was some oral contact and and then I and then that was it and I I went back to bed um, actually I was dreaming that um, maybe we could have a life together I was willing to leave school and church and my family to be with him this is um, this is 1992 so before gay marriage was legal anywhere in this country and so I knew that that was a a, a big sacrifice and um the next morning I got up and he'd already left his bed and left the room <coughs> and I I came back at lunch to swap out textbooks and he was there waiting for me and said he'd gone to speak with the bishop that morning and had told him what what I did and um, like my heart just sunk and I I just felt broken because um, I loved him, and then I saw this as a chance to have this sort of happiness that just seemed forbidden in the world. And um, I thought he wanted that too, and that's why he had sort of seduced me into this. And uh, 
so we were immediately split up and and um, got new companions. Everyone was told that we had had a fight, and um, he left school. It went, once finals were over, he left school and and dropped out. And so there I was in Idaho, uh, heartbroken, and uh, I determined I would keep my head down and never, never let my emotions get get put out there where I could I could get hurt like that again. Do you know what happened to him? Yes. So like two months later he so so that was um, it's the summertime and I, I stayed at school in the summer. He came back and brought his fiance. So in, in two months he'd gone home, found a girl, decided to get married. Oh my gosh. Like like to me like he, he rushed into it to compensate for, for these other feelings that he has. And, um, he, I mean, he said that he's bi, so that, that might work for him. That wouldn't work for me. Uh, and, um, once Facebook became, so this is all before Facebook. I mean, I'm so old. So <laughs> Facebook became a thing. White pages became a thing. I sort of, found him every so often over the years and stalked him and he's he's he remained married to this woman and they've had children he eventually went back to school and and uh, i think later he became a chaplain in the military so he's had and he and he was an actor so he's got this interesting life and he's he's correct his life was much easier for marrying a woman than it would have been if he'd had a life with me yeah I hope one day to meet him, but I, I don't know how to say. So I've been following you all these years, and your, <laughs> your wife follows my Pinterest, and you know, like does she? Yes. Oh, that's and she doesn't know. She doesn't weird. know that we have any. Oh, that makes it even better. Yeah, that's just a made-for-TV movie. Waiting to <laughs> it's, 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 I love Triangle that we didn't. Even, not, not all the participants are aware of. <laughs> Uh, when he was going overseas, he made a series of videos for his children, and they're very sweet. And he's telling, he's acting out stories for them, and and you know, I'm happy for him, but at the same time, I think that could have been stories for our children, right? So um, we all have to make choices and live with those choices. He. He recognized that kind of life with me was not going to probably, I mean, this is before, I mean, the church was way against it. Society was against it. So I, I get why he did what he did. Just, we had something and, and, and he just, without saying anything, just threw that away. So I was just talking to somebody um, who's bisexual and you know, we don't know if he's more attracted to women than men. Or if he even is bisexual. Um, yeah, because often people say yeah. bisexual before they're ready to say that they're gay. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting when people come out as bisexual after they come out as gay. Because I've met a few people recently who that's happened to them. You know, still mostly attracted to men. Mm-hmm. Um but they have had experiences where, like, I do genuinely like this woman. And sexuality, just 
Yeah. Man. Well, it's okay to change <laughs> your labels. You, you got to choose the ones that describe you, how you understand yourself now. Yeah. And um, he, he may have thought he's gay. Like, there's the Kinsey scale, one to six. I mean, it's got his problems, but it's sort of a well-known scale. So six is all the way gay, one is all the way straight. And so that leaves two, three, four, five. There's different ranges of attraction, more to girls, more to boys, or right in the middle. So he may have thought he's a six, but then found he's really a five. Right. Um, yeah, like for instance, I think I consider myself more five because, well, it is mostly men. There have been times like when I was younger, where I felt romantically interested in mm-hmm. certain women. Um, and there are still certain times where I'm close to a woman, and I think like, you know, if we got married and didn't have sex, like, yeah, this could work out. Cause, <laughs> like, I do love her, maybe I, I kiss her or whatever. Like, yeah. like, the idea doesn't totally disgust me. Um, but, you know, that's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, related to that sort of topic, when when I was in my thirties, um, so I work at a university, and there was a there's a Mormon lady that worked on campus also, and I, I do research administration. She does research, and um, she's very smart and very very kind, and um, her her bishop offered to go on a double date, but she had to find someone to go on a date with. And so, so she thought I was a nice guy. And so she asked me to go because she had just broken up from a long-term boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, and so her bishop was trying to get her back out there again. And, uh, we went on the date. So once again, I don't initiate dates with girls, but it's happened where they asked me. And, um, we had a great time. And then we stayed up, we stayed outside the in, next to the car talking for hours and we have a lot in common and in a lot of ways we're really compatible and I drove home thinking if ever a um, like a standard male female marriage was going to work with me this might be the case because we were quickly becoming friends and and we had the same sort of values and we, and we worked in different aspects in the same field and um, so we continued to see each other. Most of our dates weren't just the two of us though, we, we included other people. So it, we, we were going slower. I think she would have been fine going faster but I'm the one that was reluctant. I didn't know if this really was something that I could pursue and um, she wanted to adopt um, children with special needs she had she has some specialized training and and then that sort of sealed the deal for me like I could have the family that I've always dreamed of and that I think I think God sort of nudges me towards I feel like God nudges me to it's okay to be gay and it's okay to seek relationships and and um for a long time I never acted on that because I 
because I'm Mormon, so it all gets mixed in with the prophet and revelation and, and I hear what I think I'm hearing. And, and so I assumed that meant one day the church will change and then I can have relationships with men. And uh, I'd go to the temple and the way that the law of chastity is explained there, it says with your husband or wife. And I thought, well, I can have a husband and then fit that <laughs> definition, right? Yeah. So I thought, just keep my head down and one day God will make it so that this is, will happen. And that, that hasn't yet to, we're not even close to that being a reality. And so, so that's why I was looking at this woman thinking, I really would like a family and this might be the way. And um, so I said to her, you know, we're great friends, but you know, like, like we don't have like a romantic spark. And I said, I could totally see us being great parents, but living like roommates and raising these kids. And she's like, roommates? No way. I want a full marriage. And I, I mean, I knew she meant sex and intimacy. And, uh, and that's just ooh when I think of that. Like, it's... Yeah. I, it's, it's hard for me to think that 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 would work but I thought you know it it it's pleasurable lots of people enjoy doing that I mean they're straight but um maybe if I work hard at it this this might be something that could happen and um so I don't remember the occasion but for some reason her two brothers and their wives and her parents came to visit uh they live in different parts of the state and and so she had me over to meet them and I walked in and I met her family and I was just, I thought her brothers were breathtakingly handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I am so gay. This will never work. I will spend, if I marry her, I will spend the rest of my life wishing I was married to her brothers. And that's not, that's not fair to me and that's really not fair to her. And um, since then, we've talked, and she did adopt a uh, special needs child, and she just got married this year to, she said, actually, someone who reminds her of me, except he's not gay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like she has a type. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I seriously consider this, even though everything inside me was saying, this, this, this can't be. Yeah. But there's so much pressure, you know, inside the church to be married and, and then just in society to be in a, be a couple and have a relationship. And, yeah. And, you know, it's lonely to go through life without any of that. So we were becoming friends. I liked the friendship. Yeah. Gee, I think the worst part's like when church leaders try and get involved in setting you up. <clears throat> like, one... Um, Right after undergrad, um, you know, I was living with my parents in Wyoming, and the bishop of the, the singles ward, um, like, I'd grown up with him in the same ward, and so, like, he, like, saw me grow up, knew me growing up, but I'd been away for four years, and I really changed, I really matured, and I remember he was interviewing me for... Oh, I think just because I was 
knew you the singles ward and then he tried setting me up with someone's like oh do you know so and so uh you know she just got back from her mission to germany and she's got the red hair i'm like i have no idea who she is no i was like i think you might like her i'm like bishop no you haven't seen me in four years like you don't know what i like <laughs> so i'm just gonna pretend you never said anything okay bye like, I wasn't ready to come out to him. I, I was considering coming out to him because uh, my last two bishops in school I came out to. Um, and I thought, like, yeah, maybe I'll just keep this trend going. And this was before I even thought of um, Bishop Roulette. Mm-hmm. And there was somebody else in the ward who was gay. And we... I don't even remember how he knew I was gay. Like, maybe he even just asked, because his gaydar was just on point. Yeah. Um, and he ended up telling the bishop, and he got excommunicated. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that, that, I'm not telling the bishop who I have known my entire life. That's a real thing. That was one thing. It used to happen more frequently in the past. But just saying you're gay used to be enough to... Yeah. I've heard, I think there's like one other person I've heard that happen to um, recently. It was on Tumblr. And then there's, there are a few people I know and some stories I've heard where they came out of their bishop, they weren't excommunicated, but then they found out on the transcript wards that they had um, a mark on their transcripts. Right. You know, the dreaded mark. And so they couldn't hold certain callings. And I don't know if they do that anymore. This was... But yeah, it used to, into the ago, 90s, into, into the, in, in, I know it's in the 2000s. I don't know. I, I don't think that is done anymore. But yeah, that kind of mark would mean you were not allowed to work with children or youth. Yeah. You know, I used to stupidly think that the reason I never got any callings was because maybe I had a mark. Because I, like once I left um, college, like never got callings in, in that ward with the bishop that I knew, never got a calling. I moved to Utah, I got one calling, but then I moved out of the ward two weeks later, and another ward like, tried to give me a calling, but then it was like the calling they give to all new people. Uh, something to do with records, and he was reading off the names, and he was reading off the sisters, and like already mentioned the brothers and so I thought like well that's weird maybe I'm not getting this calling and he says no Sister Micah McIntosh (laughs) he grabs the podium and looks out and I'm just saying like okay I'm neither a Micah nor a woman so um, I'm not standing wait how do you say your name I assumed it was Micah Uh, Mika Mika sorry no you're fine you're fine Um, yeah so I just sat there and thought I don't have to do this calling uh, but there have been many... Yeah, they called someone else. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't try to give me a new calling. And then, like, the several other wards, like my ward in Chicago, and then the other wards here in Utah, like, I'd be there for a really long time, and people, like, would move in after I'd been there for three months, would get a calling right away. I'd get nothing. Like, okay, I mean, I don't really want a calling, but it would be nice to be asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes... <laughs> 
even if you don't want a calling, it makes you a little paranoid that you, because it seems like there's always needs and they're always asking people. Mm-hmm. And you always hear them saying, you shouldn't turn down callings. Well, I don't even get the opportunities, you know? I, I mean, yeah. it makes you paranoid. Like, what's wrong with me? What do they yeah. see with me? That's so, a problem. And so that was my first thought, like, the mark. And then I remember, like, it was more for children and youth. And like, okay, so it's not that. They just don't like me. I didn't think much harder about it after that. Just, it's not happening. So whenever my parents ask, I'm just going to have to keep telling them, like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, guys. I swear I'm going to church, but they're just not seeing me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. Can I share one more? Yes. Go for it. So, um, after I, after I aged out of singles awards, um, most of my adult life has been spent in primary. I play the piano, so they always have a need. Sometimes I teach the classes. Um, I moved wards, and in this ward, I was in primary for eight straight years, which was fine with me, because I thought elders quorum sucked, and I was happy not not to be in there. Sometimes we got treats in primary, even, right? And it was fun, but um, as, I was, as I was approaching f- 40 years old, I... I realized I just was tired of this. Like, I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s, not suicidal, but I, I, I would have been happy if I got in a serious disease or an accident or something and death came that way. And they wouldn't have to know I'm gay and I could go out, like, in a way that was okay with them. But it would just end it. And, and so I thought... You know, what's the point of having a life if I'm not going to live? And, um, like, with my family, I, I assumed my family knew. I mean, there were things, like, when I was a teenager, they found gay porn magazine in my room. Like, I assumed they knew. I didn't ever actually come out, and we never talked about it because my family doesn't talk about uncomfortable things. And, um... But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be honest from now on. Completely honest about this topic. And so people would try to set me up with with their friend, and I would ask if their friend has a brother. <laughs> or they'd ask why I'm not married, and I'd say, because I'm not allowed to get married, because I'm gay. And um, a lot of people would say, oh, I, I always wondered, you know, because you seem like a great guy, but... You're not married, and you don't seem interested in it. It's that. And, and that only, that helped me feel like, oh, okay, well, they already see me as possibly this, so it's it's okay to keep saying that. But um, it wasn't very long after I decided to do that. Uh, I, I think being more having that inconsistency taken out of my life and and it did feel like a burden was lifted from me not to have to pretend anymore even though it's not like I said in testimony meeting told everybody but now I just assumed that if it came up I would say it and it was okay to like the gay marriage things that posted on Facebook and and uh whatever right I, I wasn't hiding and um so I think this more confident 
person caught uh, people's eyes. So um, I, I advanced quickly at work after that, and in church, my um, my assignments changed. I, I spent eight straight years in primary, and then they put me in stake young men's. And I've never had anything to do with young men. I didn't know what to do in there. But uh, I, I bloomed and um, I think because of what my teenagehood was like, I, I wanted to be sure every teenager knew that they were seen and heard and, and loved. And, and, you know, not a lot of them are gay, but they all go through hard things. And, and they need to feel like there's someone on their side and someone who sees the good qualities and tells them. And um, so I was taking a men's present and um, parents would come talk to me about their kids and say, their gay kids and say, you know, this isn't fair. They're not gonna be able to have a family and church. And, and I was like, yeah, it sucks. And, but here's, here's things you can do to make your home better and safer. And, and and as long as they want to come, we'll walk with them. And, and but you know the usual path is, they leave because it's not it's not good. And um, I had young men that would meet with me and come out, and um, so we were able. Actually, those were the most holy experiences of my time in Stickin' Men's as the president, and um, you know, being gay myself, we we were able to have. Um, very heart-to-heart conversations. Um, uh, my stake president released me and and called me to be his secretary. He said he wanted my viewpoint in all the highest council of those stakes, so in the meetings with the bishops and the high council and, and whoever else. And, and I thought... He, he doesn't realize how different my viewpoint is, right? But we've talked a lot, and, and um, I, I have a little blog, and, and I wrote about an experience where I met um, a member of the 70, a general authority, as, as the state president secretary, and, and, and I told him I was gay, and he was really nice to me. And so I wrote this story, and I don't know who, someone put it on Facebook, and because he'd spoken in general conference and then like the next day I wrote this right I remember seeing it on Tumblr yeah and 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 like half a million people read it or or viewed it and um I I thought 30 people maybe 45 tops so this this blew my mind and um for a day or two I felt I felt very vulnerable because there was enough details in there that my whole stake knew it was me Every, all my family, all my friends. and But after a day or two, I thought, you know, this is what I want, though. And, um, and Mormons are generally nice, so if they don't have something nice to say, they don't say anything. So most of the messages I got were, were, were really good. Like, people would come and say, you know, just when we thought we can't love you anymore, <laughs> we go and read this. And, and um, but the thing is, all of a sudden, a lot of teenagers and, and some 20-somethings started contacting me because I'm, I'm an active gay Mormon, which there are not many of those. I don't know their bishop. I don't know their parents. But I know the kind of feelings that they have. And, and they just need 
they just need some hope. Some of them are really hurting and they're suicidal and they self-harm and um, that used to really scare me, but I thought, um, I thought, you know, I was taking a men's president and, and I've had to, I've had to deal with a lot of things and, and, and work out some answers in my life. So if not me, then, then who, right? There's not a lot of options. So, um, so that, that was, a, I think God did that because he, he got tired of me waiting around and, and he put me to use. And it's not that my life is, is easy or better. I, I've been suicidal. I go to, I went to therapy for almost a year, you know, I, I think very differently on LGBT topics than the church leaders do. I don't know why they don't get the same kind of answers that most queer people do about ourselves. But, um, so I don't know, I don't know where my path will lead. I talk with my state president a lot. He knows that I've, I've, I've got dating apps. I'm trying to meet people and, mm-hmm. and he's okay with that as long as I stay temple worthy. Yeah. But, you know, that's not just to go make friends. That's trying to see if something more can happen. And, um, but while I'm here, I really am trying to make it a better, kinder place. And like, I, like, I do fireside. I've done firesides in my state where all the youth are there, but I, I have a message directly for LGBT youth. In the, in the meeting with bishops, I talk about how to react if someone comes out. So uh, that's, so I've given you a bunch of stories from the time I was a teenager all the way yeah. out. So this is where I'm at now. Thank you. It was, it was nice um, traveling through your life story. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your stories with me. I am very honored you asked me. Thank you so much for listening. The next episode will hopefully be out in two weeks on December 12th. I think that's in two weeks. Let me check. Yes, December 12th. Thanks to David for sharing, Britain for the podcast image, and Pink Pocket Squares for the use of the song Tainted Rhythm, which you can find on SoundCloud. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for Mika McIntosh. My name is spelled out on the podcast image. Follow that tainted, follow that tainted, follow that tainted, follow that tainted.